Chapter 2 Hakoda woke up early the next morning after having to sleep on the sand while all the ship's bedding dried out, strung over the trees. To say that Hakoda was sore would be the understatement of the century. He was too old for this. And as he groaned himself awake, Bato next to him did the same. Unfortunately, Bato always knew how to read Hakoda, and he could always tell when something was wrong. What happened in the woods last night? Bato asked him with an exhausted, expectant look. Nothing, I just got turned around, but I figured it out, Hakoda answered quickly. It was more than that. Normally have a story or two to scare the younger men. Instead, you just sat there and frowned at your stew. Hakoda let out a long sigh, wondering what exactly he should even tell Bato. He couldn't just say nothing. Bato would watch him like a hawk until he found out what was going on. But after a moment of heavy silence, Hakoda decided better of it. So, he explained everything that happened last night in a hushed whisper so no one else would hear. And I'm going back to today to see if there are any more of them. If we're trapped on this island with a bunch of Fire Nation soldiers, or worse, firebenders, we need to prepare in case they find us squatting here, Hakoda stated. Bato didn't look happy about this fact, but seemed to understand the logic behind it. Fine, but you're going to be back by midday. If not, I'm sending everybody out there to look for you, he stated, glaring at Hakoda seriously and Hakoda couldn't help but smile at his second-in-command. You're the best, Bato. I'll be safe, he promised, picking up his sword and setting out down the same way he came last night. Hopefully, if he ran into anybody, it would be the same person who had the mercy to let him live last time. He felt like he would know that person when he saw them. Even on a firebender, he's never seen eyes that reflected like such pure, uncut gold. They were the eyes of a predator looking back at him. As he continued down the path that he thought would be better lit in the sunlight, though it only got darker, it allowed the woods to give off a much more ominous feeling, and it made him feel as though he was exposed to everything out here that was much more adept to this terrain than Hakoda. Hakoda, who grew up in the South Pole, and then spent months on end living on a ship, True, proper land was a rare thing for him to be around. And so as he stood out in the open, and what had to be the darkest parts of the woods, he came to the conclusive evidence that he definitely liked water more. Well, he at least had enough light that he could see in front of him clearly this time. Should the yellow eyes reappear, he could at least get a better idea of what they were dealing with. They wouldn't want to make themselves known to him if he was stomping around the forest, though. He knew that if this was somebody who was potentially hostile towards him or his crew, then he was going to need to tread carefully, and at least try not to destroy the woods. Just by how quiet the person moved around at night, he knew that they were well acquainted with this island. He wondered if there was any Fire Nation territories nearby. No, wait, actually, he didn't want to think about that. In fact, pushing that thought out of his head, he set out to look for any running water around them. The crew was good at gathering water from the surrounding areas, the trees by the camp that had those juicy fruits growing off of them, though it would be a lot better to have a stable water source coming through. And while Hakoda walked for a while longer, 
he began to get that same feeling that he was being watched again. Trying to remain calm as he kept walking, though growing thirstier by the minute, he kept reminding them himself that if there was another person here, then there would have to be another water source on this island. As he walked further down the untamed floor, the feeling of being watched grew more and more intense as the air around him started to grow lighter and more humid, as he began to hear the gurgling of a stream up ahead. Hakoda took this chance and quickened his pace as he came up around the bend to the clearing and being greeted with the moving pools of sparkling water. He couldn't stop the grin spreading to his face as he got up to the stream, taking a deep drink from the cool, refreshing water, and kept on drinking until his teeth hurt before filling up the rest of his water skin. As he was about to get up and go tell the tribe, ready to forget about his whole goal of looking for the golden-eyed stranger to begin with, he turned right around and was met with those same golden eyes looking back at him. This time, though, he was also able to work out the thin frame of the person possessing them. They didn't seem overly threatening, but he could tell by the rough hold they possessed the night previously, and by the stance that they were holding, that this was not somebody to mess with out here. Hakoda made no sudden moves as the eyes glared back at him. Very carefully looking around the stream, he suddenly noticed a lot more homemade fishing nets and tools, and even a few well-worn-down weapons laying far enough away. It was clear that this person had been here long enough to make his own weapons and nets. Maybe they were the only person here before. That then possessed the question of how much their time and solitude had affected them. Hakoda looked to meet their eyes again, and raised his hands in what he hoped was a peaceful gesture, taking a tentative step forward to the person who let out a low growl, flashing their teeth again in a challenge. Okay, so definitely had some effect on them. It's okay. I mean you no harm here. I just want to get back to my crew. But we need to use this stream. If we're going to survive, I promise we won't touch your things when we do. I promise we'll leave you alone if you want to be left alone. Hakoda offers in the most soothing tone he could muster. Not wanting to set off this stranger, who has been alone for an unknown amount of time. Enough to start growling at people, obviously. Hakoda's tone seemed to be enough to tell them that he wasn't in any immediate danger, as their body seemed to relax just a bit, but still ready to pounce if given a reason. As Hakoda studied the golden orbs a little moment longer, he noticed that one of them was closed just a little bit more than the other. It looked different somehow, almost cloudier. Are you all right if I pass by now? Head back to my crew? Hakoda took a few steps further, only to have a pair of swords at his neck pinning him to the ground in seconds, staring up into those golden eyes of a boy no older than his son. His hair was long and thick, being tied back out of his eyes, giving full display of an angry-looking scar covering half the boy's face. But all Hakoda could focus on at the moment was the razor-sharp swords at his neck and the puffs of fire seething out of the boy's mouth from between his teeth. Hey, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have scared you, Hakoda said, trying to sound calm, even though he was ready to shit himself at the scene before him.
I should not have done that. It was bad of me, Hakoda said, a little more worried till the dreadful thought hit him that this boy might not even know what he was saying. That pang of fear in his heart that no matter what he said, it wouldn't matter. So as he racked his brain for something, anything that would tell the boy he meant no ill will, Hakoda finally gave up and tried to offer a kind smile to show him that he wasn't a threat. It was enough to get him to stop breathing fire at least, so Hakoda decided to keep going. Me friend, friend, me nice, Hakoda repeated over and over, hoping at least one of those words was familiar to the clearly feral boy. And after the longest five minutes of his life, though, the boy finally removed the swords from Hakoda's throat and backed away, giving Hakoda enough space to move, though he still stayed still for another minute before finally and very slowly getting up to look at the boy as he watched him for any sign of a threat. Hakoda continued to walk very slowly over the path, keeping his hands away from his weapon as the boy followed him all the way back to camp. As soon as he got there, everyone began getting up to greet their chief and captain, before they saw him giving the look that clearly said, Act Natural. And they did so as Hakoda went and sat down on one of the logs, being used as seating as he ate a bowl of stew. Watching the tree line until he was absolutely positive the golden eyes had left, and he finally turned around to his crew. What happened in there? Tanuk was the first to ask. Listen to me very carefully, all of you. Found a drink, a stream of drinking water while I was out. That's great, nice job, chief, Aklo said with a big grin. Last night, though, I had a run-in with a firebender. Shut up, he stated, not giving them any time for their explosive reactions at that. From the looks of it, they're the only one here, and they've been the only one here for a long time. He can't be more than 16. When I tried to talk to him, I don't think he could even understand me, Hakoda stated clearly. So what he wants to do, chief, asked Mallet. He's just a kid, and I doubt he really knows anything of what's going on in the world. He could have never even left this island, for all I know. Clearly something happened, though. Half his face is all scarred up. It's clear he's not used to people, but we do need to use that stream. If any of you are going to get water, be careful. Under no circumstances are you to engage him, and if he approaches you, be careful. He's quick and a lot stronger than he looks, Hakoda stated. What if he attacks us? asked Azza. I want violence to be your last resort. He doesn't understand what's going on, just that we're a bunch of strange men on his island, Hakoda stated firmly. So, I say one more time, do not engage, do not fight unless given no other choice, and do not give him any reason to attack you. That is in order, Hakoda stated the last part more firmly than the rest. Yes, sir, they all echoed. Chapter 3 over the next few days, no one made any effort to interact with their mysterious host. They went to the stream, they went back to camp, and they did not explore through the trees. That didn't mean that they were not painfully aware when he was watching. There was just this edgy feeling any time that they knew he was around. 
and it didn't help that they couldn't even hear him when this happened. After a few days of this routine, though, some younger members of the crew decided to try their hand at changing it. Everybody had made the three of them go and do the water runs anyways. It wasn't completely uncommon for them to carry food around with them. Most everyone on the ship did it. It just so ended up that the three of them went down to the stream in order to fill up the water skins, as well as maybe leaving an offering of food whenever they had. All the food that they had had on the ship was being saved back for emergencies, so it was mostly whatever they had caught and cooked that day. But any time the three of them came back, it was always gone, and it only took several days for the routine before they saw any results of it. It had to be the third day of doing this that when they were on their fifth water run of the day, they saw it. A pair of glowing golden eyes watching them from the cover of the trees, making very deliberate efforts not to look. The three of them filled up their water skins while smiling and joking, and slowly made their way back to camp. Repairs on their ship was slow going, but at least they were to the point where they could walk on the deck and not worry about falling through anymore. Anytime Tanrak, Pilo, or Romo would bring up their potentially feral friend, though, everyone would either glance nervously at the woods or avoid the topic altogether. From the chief's description, he had only really been wearing a black shirt and pants that were a little bit too big on him. That at least told you that he was accustomed to clothes. Only the chief had seen him, or any of the kid's tools, but he had also said that he carried a well-cared-for set of Dao swords. There was enough evidence with that that he had, at the very least, been around people once before. The million-dollar question, though, was when was the last time? Nobody really knew how long he had been alone out here, and the three youngest crew members made it their mission to find that out on their own. It wasn't really like there was much else they could do anyways. Their carpentry skills were severely lacking, they were terrible cooks. All three were good enough fishermen, but you can only catch enough fish for the crew when there's no way to preserve the rest. They had at least managed to rig setups for it to dry out and make fish jerky out of it. However, fish jerky wasn't great on the best of days, especially when you had nothing to cure it with. So, naturally, the three worked on domesticating the feral teenager co-inhabiting the island with them. All three of them had carried a fish down with them, and all three of them made a bit of a show, leaving it there and walking away. And while Hakoda did see how many water runs the three were going on, he was very suspicious when he noticed that each of the young sailors would always return one fish sort, every single time. And it wasn't that hard to figure out what they were doing. He wondered often if he should say anything to them about it. Honestly, he decided that the crew was still well-stocked on food and fish, and none of them ever seemed to be hard when, harmed when they came back. He couldn't say it was a bad idea either. Hakoda was deeply troubled by the kid being left here alone on the island, where there was clearly no way off. And Hakoda didn't like the idea of repairing their boat and sailing away, leaving a kid all alone out here, even if he could take care of himself even if said kid was a firebender. Chapter 4 The next morning, when Tunruk, Pilo, and Romo went out for their morning water runs, 
They were talking about all the repairs on the ship and whether or not they'd be able to sleep in the cabin soon, when Romo stopped dead in his tracks, causing the others to bump into him. About to snap at the other sailor for being dense, Tunruk immediately got a hand clasped over his mouth, mouth as Romo pointed down towards the stream to see a boy. Boy no older than sixteen, as he cupped his hands to get a drink. While the chief did not go deep into detail about what the boy looked like other than a firebender, seeing him in the light now, all three sailors could agree with that description. Long black hair reaching his waist, tied back away from his face, revealing pale skin that contrasted the angry red scar of his left eye. He appeared to be quite thin for his age, but you could very clearly tell he had a lot of muscle. There was also a set of dow strapped to his back, along with all of his clothes that looked quite old and worn. Pilot could only guess that he had to make do with what washed ashore. The three boys looked on at one another, wondering what to do. They had hoped to see the other boy sooner rather than later, but now looking at him, they found themselves at a loss for plan. Finally, though, Tunruk snapped a twig loud enough for their host to hear. As soon as he did, the boy perked up and was gone in a flash. He left so quickly even that none of them could even see which direction he went. They knew he wasn't far away, though. All of them walked out from the clearing and set down their stuff, deciding to drag their feet a little bit from exhaustion as they slowly filled up their water skins before sitting down by the stream just to rest and talk a little bit. Of course, they didn't want to push their luck today, but this was the closest they had gotten to interacting with a stranger. And as they sat there and talked for a little while, the shadow hidden in one of the trees was growing far more restless, waiting for the interlopers to leave so he could take their fish again, like he had been doing every day. But this time they just sat there, talking and smiling, and something in his heart was tugging on familiarity as he saw it. Something inside told him it was what was supposed to happen, and that he had to be a part of it somehow. Everything they were saying ranged on familiarity, but none of it strong enough to stick. None of it enough for him to string together for something that he understood. He went far enough to drop down from the trees to make himself visible, testing the waters just a bit on what this interaction even was. One of them looked his way, locking eyes with him, giving a small smile before looking away and going back to the conversation. That same tug of familiarity hit him again, and no matter where he looked, it couldn't be placed at any one thing. It was like something trying to escape from deep inside him. But he didn't want it to escape. He wanted everything to stay exactly where it was. All three of them took turns glancing at him, smiling a little. They knew he was there, yet acted like they didn't care in the least about it. He was so unfamiliar with members of his own species. Honestly, it's, he had sometimes wondered if he was the only one of his kind. In a way, he still wondered that. Looking at his own skin compared to theirs, he was definitely paler. And looking at his hair versus theirs, his was darker and less wavy. Looking at the way they dressed and adorned themselves almost reminded him of some strange animal that would fly to the island from time to time. They strung beads up in their hair and ink branded into their skin. Some wearing bracelets and necklaces, it all reminded him of some exotic birds trying to attract a mate.
and as he stood there watching the three of them, at least until they got up to leave, each one sending him another smile. Smiles were good. Smiles were reassuring. Too long surrounded by mild animals had started to warp his idea of what showing teeth even represented it. And after waiting a while after they left, he wondered if he even should take the food again. It was clear that they left it for him. He did like not having to hunt and cook, so he did eat it as usual. All the extra food that they were bringing was going to make him sad when they left, and they would leave. He didn't want them to stay here. This is his island, and no one else's island. All the wildlife know to avoid him, and in return he does the same. Out of principle, he only eats fish unless an animal tries him. And out of principle, he knows he doesn't belong with others. Yet, here he was, waiting around by the water to see if the three men would come back in that day. They weren't much older than he was, and always seemed to be the ones to bring water back to the others. They were fixing up this big ship, and there had to be at least 30 of them if he counted, right? He could see them glancing nervously at the tree sometimes, and if nothing else, these strangers had at least brought a source of entertainment for him. He had grown to accept the rutting routine from day to day and was quite content with it. Now, this disruption in it had left him with this hollow void that he didn't know how to fill. There was something about him that gave him this deep desire that he wasn't sure he wanted to have. He was familiar with this feeling, but all those desires and wants had to be buried away a long time ago. When it was just him alone out here, there was no space for emotions or feelings. There was no room for proper humanity to reside. And yet, seeing a group of boys who were barely adults sitting there and talking and laughing had somehow forcibly wedged that source of humanity back into him. And no matter what he did, he couldn't, he couldn't avoid the fact that he wanted more of it. A strange warmth spreading through him and hearing the sounds of another person. Something about their presence, while being a threat, was also outrageously comforting to him, and it gave him a warmth that he didn't know was lacking. And finally, he would just have to indulge himself while these weird boatmen were on the shore. And after that, each time the trio came up and down to the water to fill the water skins, they would have a very clear view of the stranger watching them. And the day that they would never forget is the first time he came down from his shadows and sat down next to him. He must have at least somewhat recognized the gestures to come over with them. He had seen the sailors do it enough, and he figured out what it meant. Regardless, even when Pilo smiled and made that same come over here gesture, almost out of habit more than anything, the boy hesitated for a minute before he came over, and while sitting far enough away they couldn't touch him, still enough that he was in very clear view. And the three sailors beamed with delight at that, though still keeping up their own conversations, trying in any way they could to make their strange host feel welcome, whether it be through smiling or tones of voice or facial expressions. None of them wanted to move until some of the others has begun to get worried and come looking for them. The moment they were heard, of course, their strange host was off in a shot, and all three of them returned to the rest of the crew and told the whole story about what had happened. Of course, 
that's when the others began to adopt their tactics as well.